This is the third and final sermon on our vision statement, which we will review and take questions on in our congregational meeting during the adult Sunday school time today. We've already looked at glorify and nurture, and the statement can be reduced to those three words, glorify, nurture, and proclaim. So this morning it's proclaim. And we'll use the Colossians 4 text as our main text and refer to a number of the other texts that were read. And so we'll look at this under two headings. They're there on the back inside of your bulletin, prayer and proclamation, prayer and proclamation. So first, prayer. As we went through last year and kind of reconstituted our evangelism committee, Then we went through some training last fall and this spring. The Colossians 4 text, which we read, sort of emerged as an important central guiding text for that work. And so I think it's fitting that we return to it this morning. So I'm going to be looking pretty closely at the text in Colossians 4 as the central text. Verse 2, Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, And thankful. So, prayer is a vocation, right? It's a a calling. We have to devote ourselves to it. So, devotion to God without devotion to prayer is a fiction. And for most of us, this devotion is a struggle. I think that's to be expected because it, prayer cuts deeply across our sense of self-sufficiency, our ability to take care of things. It seems inefficient, too, and wasteful, particularly to moderns. So it's a kind of cross-bearing prayer. It's a form of self-denial, you know, it, it's been said, like, we're called to a kind of worldly self-denial, worldly asceticism. We're like worldly monks, meaning prayer is a call heavenward even as we engage our earthly callings. And Paul says here, so devote yourselves to it. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being, he says, watchful and thankful. So, this idea of awake, right, sober, alert, grateful prayer, it's basic to Christian existence. It's not something we do when we get in a jam or we have a crisis. It's basic. Why is it basic? I mean, why does the New Testament command it, and commend it to us so often. Now, there's a lot a person could say here, but I want to just say one thing. If you notice the things that are mentioned here in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful in it. That's a short definition of what communion with God looks like. We, We talk to him. We're alert to his presence, to his action, and we give thanks. 
So think of it this way. Prayer is a form of what prayer asks for. This is often missed, I think. We think, well, we have to pray to get something to happen. We have to pray so we can get somewhere. We have to pray to change it. But prayer itself is a form of what prayer asks for. Prayer is a form of what prayer is aiming at because prayer is reconciled, thankful, living communion with God. Prayer is where we want the world to go. Otherwise, we end up viewing it as just another thing on the checklist. So the very act of prayer is a sign of what we are praying for. So prayer then lifts us up to God, and in doing that, it opens us out to his kingdom and the purposes of that kingdom in the world. There's really nothing more cosmic and more global and far-reaching you could do than to pray. It's a great paradox in this, of course, because it seems like it's the least active thing you're doing, the weakest thing. And so it should come as no surprise then that prayer is largely about the coming kingdom of God through the gospel and through that gospel proclamation in the world. And that's how the flow of numerous texts in the New Testament goes. Right here, having exhorted us to devoted prayer, Paul says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So a central purpose of prayer is for the sake of the gospel, right? So that doors might be opened. Opportunities might be granted that this gospel that Paul calls the mystery of Christ could be declared or proclaimed with clarity and with power. So we have something basic, fundamental, a sort of central thrust to prayer, even if everything's going spectacular and swimmingly in our world. We are praying for this gospel. There's a a parallel passage, very similar to this passage in Colossians, in Ephesians. And there Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit, keeping alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he continues again and says, and also pray for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth as I proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Prayer for the saints leads to praying for the propagation over against all opposition of the gospel. That's very important to get, I think, right? Otherwise, prayer for the saints just becomes you know, a list of things of, of human need that needs to, we want God to meet. But it's not really connected to the kingdom and its advancement. But in Paul's mind, you're praying for the saints, and, you're, and because you're praying for the saints, you're praying for the apostolic proclamation of the gospel. So we must not have, then, prayerless proclamation. Paul doesn't want to have it, and we shouldn't want to have it. So please pray for the, for the public preaching of the word. Pray for our missionaries and evangelists. 
Pray for the word to run and be glorified. Paul says that in Thessalonians, a beautiful image. For the word to run in the world and be glorified. Pray for doors to be open where they are currently shut. Pray for the gospel to be proclaimed with clarity and power. Pray, Paul says, for the principalities and powers to be torn down. It's very important when we come to this idea of preaching or proclaiming the gospel to get the fact that prayer precedes proclamation. And prayer then powers proclamation. So that's prayer. The second thing I want to talk about is the proclamation itself. Of course, preaching has, in one sense, fallen on hard times in our culture. Nobody wants to be preachy. It's, it's almost a word that has a sheen of either condescension or intrusion. It's important to remember this, to sort of reset this discussion. The first preacher of the apostolic gospel was Jesus himself, right? Jesus is a preacher, and he conceives of his ministry fundamentally as one of proclamation. Right? When he opens his public ministry at Nazareth in the synagogue there, and he refers to the prophecy from Isaiah concerning the anointed Messiah, the Lord has anointed me with the Spirit to proclaim. That's the New Testament word for preaching. To proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus is anointed by the Spirit to preach. It would be good, wouldn't it, if we could culturally replace all the images of big public, you know, tele-evangelists in the culture's mind with the image of the Christ of the Gospels when you said the word preacher. Think how far that would go to change the playing field. (laughs) Right now, the word itself hurts us. And it's important that we remember Jesus as this preacher or this proclaimer of the gospel. And what's the very first word of the incarnate Son of God in his preaching ministry? Repent. It's a beautiful word. It means to turn around to change, to be restructured. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, he's the first preacher, but I'm not really going to talk about him. I want to talk about us for most of this time here. And I want to start with what's proclaimed. Paul says, we proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery that was long hidden But it's now revealed. For Paul, this means Jew and Gentile reconciled together in one body through the cross. Right? The gospel is the gospel of that reality, that kingdom which has broken into time. And summoning people to repentance is inviting them to live in that kingdom now, to participate in the future, to be part of a reconciled humanity. Broadly, that's what the good news is, the mystery of Christ. But we can simplify it. 
we can simplify it. You're rarely going to have the opportunity to talk to someone about God's cosmic plan to reconcile Jew and Gentile together in one body. But that is the frame of the gospel in Paul. But we can get to its core. We can get to its core. And Paul does that in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, also in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel, Paul says. In accordance with the scriptures means in accordance with the Old Testament, with Israel's scriptures. As we like to say around here, that means Jesus can never, ever be Scandinavian. So you have this Old Testament context, but I don't want us to lose sight of the core, because the core is simple. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ is raised from the dead. That is what is proclaimed. It's not some specialist insider knowledge for the elite. Who proclaims it? In the passage that we're looking at, and in the Ephesians passage, prayer is made in support of the apostolic preaching. Paul, his co-workers, his ministry team. But what about the person? What about you and I? What about the person sitting in the pew, the one who's not an apostle, not an ordained preacher, not a church planter, not an evangelist? This is why I chose the Acts 8 passage, which I want to just refer you to for a moment here. This is a remarkably important little text. It tells us that after Stephen's martyrdom, quote, there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they're all scattered, it says, throughout Samaria and the regions of Judea. Now, now note this. They were all scattered, the text says, except the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. And then a few verses later, in verse 4, we read, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's really remarkable. Here, the preachers of the word are everybody but the apostles. Everybody but the apostles is preaching the gospel in Acts 8. So here the proclamation requires full participation. Just like last week, we spoke about how nurturing requires the gifts and the talents and the love and the encouragement of every member. So does proclamation. So does bearing witness. The early church was full of preachers. This is not to say there's not a unique role for the the public ministry, the Reformed tradition. The scriptures have always recognized that. But nevertheless, preaching falls to the whole royal priesthood in Christ. And the early church did this just by instinct. They had no plans. There were no motions. There was no presbytery approval checking everyone's credentials to make sure they could be scattered abroad and preach. There were no consultations to make sure everything was in order. There's no paperwork. They just scattered abroad. And when they went abroad, they preached the word. You are called to proclaim. 
right? To preach the word wherever God has scattered you in the world. It's not a task that can be passed off or restricted. So we are to pray for the proclamation, but we are to participate in the proclamation of the gospel. We must do this. The church lives and exists to do this. We've already had some training on the gospel through that, that wonderful video series, uh, Christianity Explored, on how to, what it is and how to share it. And we hope by God's grace to continue to bear witness to this gospel. So we know what's proclaimed the gospel. We know who proclaims it, all of us. So now I'm going to ask another question. Where is it proclaimed? This is a pretty easy one. The Great Commission, which we read, go into all the nations. The church in Acts 1, waiting for Pentecost, is told that when, the, when they're empowered, they're going to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So the gospel is to be proclaimed everywhere. You know, this is reflected in our vision statement where we say that we want to promote, we want to support missions work at home and abroad. Right? The church has a global vision with missionaries that we support around the world. I try and send updates out from them. They're, off, they're out there on the uh, bulletin board. Or at least they have been traditionally. But I commend these missionaries to you as opportunities for prayer and even for your own personal support. It's important that we all see the, the, uh, the broader connections we have as Reformed Presbyterians. This church has supported some of our presbytery, the Presbytery of the State of New York's church planting efforts. We have church plants in Cobleskill and in Syracuse and in Buffalo that we pray for and support. We are seeking to cultivate this spirit of outreach. And Lord willing, we desire longer term to plant Reformed churches in this region. So that's the wide angle lens. Now I'm going to zero in on our situation here. We could ask the next question. When? When do we share the gospel? And for that, I'm going to go back to Colossians 4, verse 5. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So here's a big part of being devoted to prayer, of being watchful in it, right? It's to be a person that's seeking wisdom and discernment to make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity that God provides, not every opportunity that we force or manufacture, but every opportunity that God gives us. When do we proclaim the good news? Every time God, in answer to our prayers, opens a door, provides an opportunity. Usually that's going to mean somebody asks. Right in 1 Peter, he says, be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you. Paul has had, think of this, exceptional, extraordinary opportunities at the heart of the empire and throughout the empire. But you have opportunities. We have opportunities as well, and we must not waste them. This is part of what it means to be alert in prayer, to be tuned in the Christian life. Notice what this readiness, this wisdom looks like here. 
Paul goes on to say, again, this is Colossians 4. He goes on to say, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Gracious speech. It's an odd turn of phrase. Gracious speech seasoned with salt. It means something like be gracious, but not insipid. Right? Not inoffensive and harmless. Not sentimental. Right? Not infantile. Not fearful or passive. Salt means have some savor, have some bite in your language. Salt stings. Salted speech is interesting speech, stimulating speech. Grace's speech seasoned with salt in those who are the salt of the earth. That's what wisdom looks like. Every sentence matters in this sort of a thing. If we cultivate, it's interesting how Paul says, if you talk like this, you'll be ready for opportunities. Because opportunities require you to talk. And they require you to talk graciously and with salt. So Paul says, if you you cultivate this kind of speaking habit, we will be equipped, we'll know how to answer everyone. So at every moment and in every sentence, we're equipping ourselves to be ready for every divinely given opportunity. That's an interesting thought. I commend it to you for your meditation. Paul is basically saying in Colossians 4 that every sentence you speak is preparing you to share the gospel. One last thing about the proclamation, which is crucial, and I'm going to call this how. How do we proclaim the gospel? Our vision says we desire to reach out both in word through the the proclamation of the apostolic gospel and indeed concrete acts of mercy. So it's really important to, to not lose sight of this. Proclamation includes action, words and deeds. We've discussed words, so here I'm just going to discuss deeds briefly. Two texts are critical here, and we need to have ears to hear them. The first one is the famous parable of the sheep and the goats. Right? You're all, you all know it. At the final judgment in this scene, Jesus does not check you know, to see if we're on the right side of this issue or that issue. Blessedness and damnation are correlated to deeds of mercy to the least of these. The poor and the naked and the sick, the imprisoned, the hungry. And the reason is, is that this is love and allegiance and devotion to Jesus himself. Right? Devotion to God without devotion to prayer is a fiction. But devotion to Christ without devotion to the least of these is also a fiction. Jesus says, you know, as you did it to these, you did it to me. The king who comes to us incognito. And a shorter version of the parable, equally pointed, is the text we heard from James 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is... Boy, what would we say if we didn't know what the answer was? That would be a fun experiment, would it not? 
like to obliterate our historical memory and then ask Christians, what is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God? James says, it's to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure purity and, you know, with respect to the world. Keep deep purity and deep compassion for the poor. That, James says, is godliness. That is pure and undefiled religion. And as a community together, we are seeking to stimulate one another to love and to these types of good deeds. Now, we can talk about this a little bit more during the vision meeting today, but I'm going to ask you for two things here, two things to pray about. First, the first one is this. If there are opportunities or suggestions or ministries that you know of that we can support or participate in, or something that you'd like to support fresh and start fresh, then please see our deacons. Our deacons are charged in our book of church order, this this is another marvelous phrase, with stimulating the grace of liberality in the saints. It's one of the chief reasons deacons exist, to stimulate the grace of liberality in the community. So see them. If you have an opportunity, if not, pray. Second, the session has a a tentative vision. This is tentative still, perhaps longer term, but to build a new manse and to use the existing manse for ministry, perhaps for unwed mothers, perhaps for orphans, perhaps for refugees. We don't know. I'm asking you to pray about these things and pray that the Lord brings us the people who can lead these things and bring them to fruition. In any event, the point here is this. Much has been given to us. Much is required. We've been given an abundance of land and resources. We need to be using at least a portion of them for the least of these. And so we're serious about this long term. We desire the, the community here to pray and support and seek the Lord here. So prayer and proclamation in word and deed. Let us devote ourselves to these things, because that's what devotion to Jesus is. We're all royal priests. We have access to the face of God in the heavenly sanctuary for prayer. And then we have a royal message. Right? We have a ro- the gospel of the kingdom to declare it, to embody it in deeds here and throughout the world. Pray for and proclaim the gospel of God. Pray for it and proclaim it in the power of the Spirit. Amen.